Hello and welcome back to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. I am, as always, your host, Sotek Andre, and you're listening to episode 29, in which I'm about to be joined by Mr. Paddy Farrell. Now, as I mentioned in the episode, Paddy was my unofficial very first guest, like, uh, way back when I started this podcast. However, uh, we experienced some te- technical difficulties and um, the audio was pretty much unusable. So we had to re-record it and um, I think we actually did a much better job uh, the second time. So it's in everyone's uh, best interest that um, we release this uh, sort of second take of our conversation. Now in this episode we mostly talk about exercise selection and some couple ideas and concepts related to it and uh, some misconceptions that some, some people might have such as uh, what really uh, quote-unquote full range of motion means, whether some exercises are necessary or not. We talk about active versus passive range of motion. We talk about resistance profiles a bit. And um, we also talk about this concept of adaptive resistance, which I think is very misunderstood. So if uh, any of that sounds interesting to you, then hopefully you will find this episode valuable. So let's get right into episode 29 of the Master Engineer podcast with Paddy Farrell. Paddy Farrell, welcome to the podcast. Hello. It's great to have you on and um, um, I'm glad that uh, we were able to record this again since you were my unofficial first guest. <laughs> yeah, we had some technical difficulties, but look, we're here now. We are back again. Yeah, since then, both of our podcast game has evolved since I've improved mine and you have started your own with uh, Gary. So we are definitely more uh, knowledgeable in the technical department. <laughs> Yeah, a little, a little bit, yeah. Okay, so um, for most people, since um, you're not Insta or internet famous just yet, so I would assume that many people might not be familiar with who you are and what you do. Could you give them a brief background and maybe how your mindset has evolved around not necessarily just exercise selection, but uh, fitness in general over the years? Um, well, I... Myself and Gary, I think you had Gary on before on your podcast. We both run a company called Triage Method. And like, it's a little bit different to some, we'll say, online coaching companies in that we don't just offer online coaching. Because like that, that's probably what most people will recognize as a like fitness coach or whatever, this online sphere. People are like, oh yeah, I offer online coaching. Like, yes, we do offer that. And we like we like to think anyway that we have a comprehensive system for that but the main stuff that we kind of offer at at triage is more of an educational platform and that's kind of what we enjoy doing the most and so i suppose you could say i'm owner or co-owner of triage method and it's an educational platform as well as a coaching platform so that's essentially what i do i'm i'm a glorified Uh, office worker I suppose because most of my work involves me sitting on a laptop either reading uh, writing or you know doing some online coaching and that could involve you know just answering emails could involve recording content whatever it is for my clients in general so yeah I'm basically a glorified office worker I am still in college myself like I've gone back to college to study biochemistry because that's kind of what I enjoy so 
that's kind of thought process we'll say I bring to the whole company uh, like I like all the the background stuff I suppose you'd call it all what's happening inside the body inside the cells the the, the biochemistry right that, that that's kind of what I like right and then you're saying what my well say fitness history is and um, because obviously that informs where I am now and my thought processes now uh, I suppose most people come to this health and fitness stuff with some sort of background in sports or they come to it with no background in sports and maybe they're overweight so I'm in kind of two boats with that because like I played sports when I was younger like field sports the main kind of sports that I played would be more like boxing and stuff like that that's kind of what I enjoyed I, I enjoyed fighting that that, that was my my area I, I really enjoyed that did that for years however I was also overweight like as much as I enjoyed sports uh, I, I much preferred eating you know uh, so yeah like I, I really enjoyed eating so I suppose you would say I was fit but fat you know so it's going to, there's got there was periods in my life where you know I would overeat because I wouldn't be doing sports because of say I was in secondary school or college had exams and that kind of stuff and I never really had a I'm going to say a good relationship with food like I had a good relationship with food I liked real food it wasn't like I was just going or oh, give me 20 pizzas or stuff like I liked real food I just liked a lot of it you know so that's kind of where I started so there was a time maybe when I was around 18 where I kind of gave up sports like we'd always done you know a little bit of gym work with boxing and stuff you know but it would be mainly kind of pull-ups maybe push-ups that kind of stuff but it would be in a gym setting so I didn't really have a comprehensive understanding of that kind of stuff not like you do you do now like you see an 18 year old now like most of them know what to do in the gym most of them have been to the gym for two to three years at that stage or they have friends who go to the gym like when I was growing up there wasn't any of that kind of content like you went on Instagram like obviously that wasn't even a thing but if you went on the internet at all like there was no it was either bodybuilders or sports and all the sports information was pr pretty terrible like I'm, I'm only 26 but like even then in the 90s like the the information and the content out there was not great, you know? Uh, especially if you didn't know, like you weren't in a certain circle, you didn't know the right people to follow, you know? So a lot of the information I would get was pretty conflicting. It was basically from people I knew that were fit or had got themselves into shape and maybe it was just genetics that got them there or maybe it was some knowledge that got them there, you know? So the information I was exposed to wasn't great and... Like, I don't know, my kind of mind works like, I, I want to know the why behind things. I want to know, or I want to understand at least the the rationale behind something, you know? Like, I, I want to know why this exercise is in my program. I want to know why we're doing this dietary manipulation. I, I, I want to know the why behind it, you know? that That's how my kind of thought process works. Um, and I suppose that's kind of what informed my decision-making as I grew in the fitness industry, you know? So I'd be doing these programs that maybe I found in, I don't know, some muscle mag, you know? It was like, oh yeah, do four sets of 15 on a bench press. And it's like, okay, cool. Like everyone, all these big guys are doing the bench press. So that's what I got to do, you know? However, 
that's not taking into account that a lot of these guys you see in like these fitness magazines are five foot ten and on a boatload of drugs, you know, whereas like I'm six foot five and not on a boatload of drugs. Uh, so the decisions and the volume, the intensity and exercise selection that they were all choosing to do did not fit me like yes i did get results and this is kind of one of those concepts we're probably going to touch on later on it's like when we talk about exercise selection or you talk about concepts around exercise it is all shades of gray because just because you think you don't fit in a category doesn't mean that your body doesn't actually fit in that category like you might go oh i'm six foot five and patrick's here saying i don't know the bench press doesn't work for him because he doesn't have the range to touch his chest, say, for example, you know, and you might be six or five and have the perfect mechanics to bench press. So it's not like it's a hard and fast rule. Like once you get over this height or this, I don't know, measurements, this exercise is useless for you, you know. So that's kind of where I started with my thought process. So I came from a somewhat sporting background and wanted to both improve my sporting ability we'll say and also like i i wanted to look good you know like i kind of felt you know you're you're at that late teen stage where you're kind of like you know i want to impress girls i want to be able to pick up girls and you know look a certain way and like we we talked about it before like we're 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 dragon ball z fans you know so you're, you're looking at these guys on like you're looking at goku vegeta that kind of stuff and you're going fuck like they those guys are big you know that i like I want, I want to look a certain way. You have this idea in your head of a, a male stereotype, we'll say, where you're like they have, you know, rounded cap delts, juicy chest, big quads. You know, you know, you know what I mean. They have a six pack. So you're like, why don't I look like that? Like I'm, I'm exercising. I'm doing all the right things now, and I don't look a certain way. So that's kind of what started the whole process for me. I wanted to look a certain way. I wanted to perform a certain way, and. I wanted to know the why behind the process, you know? So even when I'd look at a program from like, I don't know, whatever muscle mag was popular in the day, like men's health, men's fitness, whatever it is. And I'd be doing the exercises. I'd be doing the program laid out. And I'd be kind of like, why, why is this exercise in here? Like, what is this actually doing? And that kind of obviously starts off. Like you have to start somewhere. And then you start thinking, Okay, so I'm doing these lunges. What muscles are these targeting? What, like, where should I be feeling this most? Where, like, how do I maximize my ability to do this exercise so that I get the best results? Like, and that should be everyone's thought process, really, because, like, the most valuable thing you have in life is your time, you know? So you want to maximize your time in the gym. Like, you don't want to be doing, and this is kind of where, as if you're a younger person listening to this, you'll find, oh, yeah, like, I don't mind spending two, three hours in the gym getting a sick pump with the bros or whatever and that that's all cool you know but if you actually have a a life we'll say you know you have places to be a family business whatever like you've got an hour maybe max in the gym where you're like i have to be 100 percent focused 100 percent on doing each of these exercises you know so that's kind of my thought process and then obviously it leads into maximizing things for my body understanding my body And then that obviously evolves into understanding how these principles apply across the board for human movement, we'll say. Um, And this is, again, where a lot of people lose the perspective, you know, you kind of and it's it's always been this way and it will always be this way. People have these dogmatic views on certain exercises or 
certain thought processes and both because it worked for them like they might have the perfect mechanics to bench press we'll say or to squat or to deadlift and therefore they think like powerlifting is the best way to get strong or to build a physique you know because it worked for them so like all you have to do is bench press and your chest will grow like obviously it worked for me why isn't it going to work for you you're just you're just not working hard enough and that that'll be their rationale you know but then you also have these people that have the opposite mindset that they they've really started to think of these like exercise mechanics these biomechanics and they they kind of get a really narrow viewpoint of it's all just muscles you know and and that's not wrong you know like at the end of the day the stuff that is moving this weight, the stuff that is performing these exercises is just muscle, you know, and muscles lengthen and muscles shorten and that's all they do. So you can get this very narrow viewpoint that this is the best exercise based on your biomechanics, based on your structure, based on your muscle insertions, everything. You can go really into the minutia and think of it all just down to muscles, you know, but that doesn't mean that you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and forget about the movement perspective, you know? So I, I, I always think there's kind of this dichotomy in the industry where people either have a muscle perspective or they have a movement perspective, but it's really the beauty lies in between the two of them, you know? And there are, or there is context to your decision-making. Like if you, if you are, I don't know, a, a powerlifter, you, you, you are involved in the sport of powerlifting. Like having a muscle perspective probably isn't going to be your best way of maximizing your results. Like, yes, it may keep you injury free for longer, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be the way you maximize your powerlifting total. Like if you, if you compete in a sport that requires you to be in certain ranges and if you do not have those ranges you still have to get strong in those ranges to compete in your sport. So you kind of, to an extent, have to throw out that muscle perspective at, at times. Like I, if, I, if I had someone that was like, oh, I just don't have the range to bench press, like, but I want to build a physique and I want to get good at powerlifting, you know, we'll have that conversation that come into Jesus conversation where it's like, well, like realistically, you're not bit, built to powerlift, but you may have met some of your best friends through powerlifting. You may have made loving memories through powerlifting so i'm not going to take that away from you so what can we do in terms of our exercise selection and our thought process around your training to ensure that you're not getting injured to ensure that you're progressing in your powerlifting to ensure that overall your training is suited to your complex goals you know so that's kind of where i think of things with exercise selection i try to not be dogmatic with saying like this is the best exercise or this is the worst exercise or never perform these exercises i think it all has context and all movements are appropriate if there is a rational thought process behind that like if you were just doing i don't know an arnold press because arnold did it and it is it's it's terrible for your mechanics and it, it conceptually it doesn't make sense in terms of the muscles you're trying to target then just because Arnold did it, that's not a, that's not a, a good reason to do it, you know. So you do have to have rational thought behind your exercise selection, you know. That was quite a comprehensive introduction, and uh, should give people some good uh, um, insight into the the kind of thoughts that go through your mind. So 
if we consider an exercise for muscle growth or muscle hypertrophy specifically, what do you think are the most important factors to take into account or what are the main characteristics that would make an exercise an effective option for muscle growth? Well, you have to look at like the actual research firstly on what is causing muscle growth. And a lot of this research is good and bad because there's so much nuance that goes into it and like personally i think all of these exercise scientists should have to record their training you know the, the if they're putting someone through a training protocol they should have to record it and that should be included with the the research because i've seen exercise scientists go through training protocols and what you read in the paper and what you assume that exercise looked like and what you assume that volume that training that intensity what you assume that looked like and what that actually looked like are two totally different things you know so i think that a lot of this exercise science is is junk because it isn't being performed in either the way people are performing it in real life or it's not being performed appropriately in the the training session by that exercise scientist you know so you kind of have to cut through a lot of bullshit with exercise science as a whole. And there are good researchers out there. And this is the same with any field. Like there is good researchers and there's bad researchers. So you have to learn to obviously cut through the bullshit with the things and actually understand the underlying concepts. So again, you cut through all that stuff. You understand the research. And what it comes down to is there's like, it's argued that there's three mechanisms of hypertrophy. Uh, but I, I think even like the, the muscle damage thing, I'm like, is that a mechanism of hypertrophy or is that just a, a correlation you know that's just that happens to be there when you perform things correctly you know like i don't think that is actually a mechanism of hypertrophy but i suppose that's a discussion for another day you know so we've got essentially two mechanisms we've got tension we'll call it that and we've got metabolic stress and metabolic stress is actually a consequence of tension so when you think of exercise selection what you're thinking of is creating tension on the musculature that you're trying to grow, you know? And when you think of exercise selection, you have to think of choosing exercises that allow you to maximize that tension on the musculature that you're trying to grow. Now, you might think of that and you might come to that conversation thinking, okay, well, that obviously means the exercises that I can lift the most in, you know, because that's how generally like it's it's a good marker if you can lift more weight in this exercise obviously you're putting more tension on that musculature again very logical thought process and this is why you see people hammer on about progressive overload and progressive overload is the best way to grow muscles right but it should be considered progressive tension overload you know so you actually want to be progressively overloading the tension on the musculature that you're trying to grow you know so we'll take the bench press for example we'll actually take the power lifts themselves because there's a lot of dogma and there's a lot of crossover between the sporting realm the sport of powerlifting, and then the physique development realm you know because if we're talking about muscular hypertrophy like we're actually trying to grow muscles you can lose the nuance in that because the sport of powerlifting kind of was an offshoot of trying to get stronger and then you know the, the the waters get muddied when you're talking about physique development because you know maybe that came after powerlifting and these kind of things they, they they grew up in the same culture but they diverged and there's all this in between back and forth because if i'm trying to develop my physique and you're trying to develop your sport we're in the same environment we're both going to the gym 
you know, so the, the waters get a bit muddy. But for example, we talked about it a little bit, the bench press. If you were trying to develop your best chest, there are so many variables that you have to take into account. Sternum angle, your ability to, I know, pack the scapula uh, onto a bench, you know, your ability to contract your pecs. There's, there's so much that goes into it that a bench press may be the worst exercise you could do for your chest, you know, as an individual. Maybe you are better off with an incline and that's going to actually develop your chest way more than the bench press, like a flat bench press ever will. And then we'll consider like, do you actually have the active range of motion to perform a quote unquote full range of motion in the bench press, you know? So maybe it is for you, you only have the range of motion so that you can bring the bar down to about an inch off your chest. That's your perfect range of motion. You can kind of get around this to some extent if you really, really arch the chest and maybe that is better for you. Maybe that is maybe that is exactly what you need to do to overcome your active range limits and contract your chest more. Yes, it becomes more of a, a decline press then, but maybe that is exactly what you need to do. You know, that we, you have to see the individual to understand that more. Um, but you... When you're thinking of exercise selection, you have to think, what do I have? What range do I have available to me? So in the bench press, maybe you don't have the range to touch your chest, but then you get some power lifter that comes in and says, no, you have to touch your chest for the rep to count. Okay. But then they will also say, oh, board presses are a great way. Like board presses are a great way to overload my bench press. And actually when I do board presses, I get a sick chest pump or they'll they'll go oh spodo presses which is basically you know stopping an inch to two inches off your chest basically stopping at the end of your active range and that's i get a great pump off that i really feel my my chest working in that and those exercises are fine but if you see someone doing a quote-unquote half rep on the bench press then that's a bad exercise. They're doing it wrong. I'm going to show them how to touch the chest, you know? And like, yeah, it is It is a case of maybe that person is just doing a half rep because of their ego and they do actually have the available range to touch their chest, you know? So you, there is that conversation as well. But there, there's all these rules around it where, you know, half reps, we'll call them, like a spoto press is perfectly fine. But if I did a half rep on the squat, oh, Oh, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to do that, you know? But then you go, okay, well, what is a full range of motion on a squat? Because in my eyes, like, I have ridiculous mobility in my ankles and my hips. Like, I can I can pretty much sit on the ground in a squat. So for me, a full range of motion in a squat is, you know, ass to grass. Like, properly sitting on the ground there's no daylight between your hamstring and your calf and i have no calves so that's 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 low <laughs> you know so for me that's that but then if you look at a power lifter they're saying oh no it's just a uh, parallel for me that's that's full range so you do have to take that into account that so, some of these rules that we have around exercise selection they're just arbitrary because they're a standardization for a sport so you ha- like again, the deadlift is another one. You can do block pulls, and that's a perfectly valid exercise because you're 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 essentially staying in your active range with that. Like I don't have well, I do, but I don't have that like last inch. Like I'm, I'm six foot five, so that last inch of range in a deadlift, like it, it's somewhat beyond my active range of motion. It's not so far beyond my active range of motion that it's impossible for me to do. But if I was to do that for long periods of time in a training cycle. It, it, it does build up a lot of, we'll call it damage, uh, 
well overloading of structure in my low back so it, it kind of begins to hurt um a bit but again like the deadlift is always going to overload your your lower back and your glutes and stuff but anyway so when you think of your exercise selection you do have to take into account that there is this muddied water between the sport of powerlifting and then the best exercises for your given goal like if your if your goal is to build the best chest you could possibly build and we realize that tension is the driving factor in that then why is a dumbbell bench press not going to be better for you than a bench press like yes we may be able to overload with the weight more in the bench press because you know you've got two hands on a bar stability isn't there stability issue isn't there and whereas with dumbbells perhaps it is so I can understand the argument, but what if you actually produce more tension on your chest with a dumbbell bench press rather than a barbell bench press, you know? So you do have to take in the actual context of the goal. If your goal is to maximize your muscular development, there are no hard and fast, this exercise is the best for you, you know? Like say, again, squats is a great example. You might be terribly built to squat, but I get you on a hack squat and all of a sudden your quads light up. Like you can keep all the tension on the quads exactly where you want to build them. But someone will say, oh wait, you don't squat in your program? Oh no, 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 that's terrible. Like you have to completely rethink your training methods. You have to completely redesign your training program so you can include squats. We have squats are the king of exercise, you know? And it's like this my goal is to build my quads. I'm going to choose the best exercise for my body to overload my quads, you know? And I understand why people are so resistant to it because it is hard to really get rid of your ego, get rid of your biases and realize that the exercise that you love may not be an exercise that suits everyone, you know? It might be perfect for you, but... That doesn't mean it's it's perfect for everyone and there might be better exercises for other people, you know? But yeah, that's a nice little rant for you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the bias of it works for me so it must be working for everyone else. It's so prominent. And um, what you said about exercise science studies, yeah, that's, that's something that occurred to me a good while ago now because especially in the last year since I had the opportunity to train some people in person and now transitioning into online, what you write down on paper and uh, what you imagine when you write down for people to do four sets of 10 or whatever and they send you back the weight and the reps and the rep in reserve and the tempo recommendation that you... Uh, outline for them and then once they send you back some videos of them doing the exercise then that's kind of a whole (laughs) different universe that opens up because you might have wrote um, three second eccentric and a two second pause at the bottom and then a one or two second concentric and then again two second contraction and what you might get is uh, one and a half second eccentric no pause um, one second up, no pause again, and that's just a completely different um, exercise, essentially, and different stimulus, especially in, in resistance studies. Like, we, we see it right down, that written down that, well, they did X sets of squats, but how did that look? How bent over were they? Um, what were their intents? What were they thinking about when they were doing the exercises? <laughs> 
those are all factors that could influence muscle recruitment and at the end of the day the results of the study so so i agree wholeheartedly on that yeah and this is this is also why you see such variability in training uh studies we'll say you you see one study that has a training program that's three sets of 10 and whatever amount of total volume and you'll see another study that has the exact same total volume the exact same almost training parameters like they're doing three sets of 10 as well and those results will be completely different and they were performed by different exercise scientists different universities or whatever and it's like where the people that were in those studies being coached better where they being shown the exercises better where the exercises being selected around their bodies better and that's the variability you see or like what what's going on so it is one of those really complex sciences because it is like it is a biological science at the end of the day where it is individuals you are dealing with and that means you have to individualize a huge amount like it's not like it's a cell culture where you're like oh i'm just going to slap a few nutrients in an agar plate and i'm going to grow i'm going to grow some whatever you know e coli or something that, that's not what it is. <laughs> yeah like it's that's not that's not what it is it's like you actually have to de- deal with human individuals and as a result like they are going to have like you you just walk down the street and you'll see the amount of diverse bodies we'll say that you see different limb lengths different injury history different training history different thought processes you know different even muscle fibers you know like there's so much individuality that yes there are going to be some commonalities between humans like we are at the end of the day humans well hopefully we all are (laughs) Um, so we all are humans so there's going to be a huge amount of carryover in terms of blanket statements we'll call them but at the same time those blanket statements completely disregard the nuance and the individuality you know so you do have to take that into account when you look at exercise selection as a whole and your training program as a whole because like the way I look at it, everything is built off the rep, you know? So you have to be able to maximize your rep, the, the individual rep itself, before you can maximize a set. And that goes down to the tempo of the rep, the control of that rep, the actual overloading of the structures that you want to overload with that rep, you know? So it all comes back to the rep. And then when you think about like volume and intensity, because that's generally what people talk about in the the sports science realms volume and intensity but that volume and intensity can only be discussed once you've maximized the individual rep and it's almost like we've forgotten that and it's just assumed that the rep itself is almost meaningless like it's like oh yeah well everyone once you do the rep that's all that matters but it's it's kind of ignoring the underlying principles of strength development of muscle development like you you have to maximize the rep before you can build on these other recommendations of volume intensity even rest periods everything like like it actually really annoys me like anyone who delves deep into the science of like the biochemistry of exercise like it annoys me so much when people say resistance training is anaerobic in nature like 100 is not anaerobic you know like that's like saying Repeated sprint efforts are anaerobic. So yes, a sprint is anaerobic. If I get you to do a maximal all-out sprint, right? That that one, that's anaerobic, right? But if I get you to do that repeatedly, you know, like if you're playing a sport, like 
every single consecutive one of those, so every consecutive set of sprints is more and more and more aerobic, you know? So resistance training is aerobic in nature. Like, yes, when you look at it on an individual set, if it was just one individual set, we can argue that that's anaerobic. But then you also have to take into account that it's the aerobic system that is recovering that anaerobic system so that you can have repeated efforts of that because if resistance training was truly anaerobic like you would be taking 10 minute rest periods you know so that that's not the case and this is why again like you look at the research on it and people are like oh well two minutes is better than 40 seconds for uh resistance training because you know you're better able to train you're better able to do your sets and it's like yeah obviously that's the case because it's aerobic in nature and if you give it more time to recover aerobically like you breathe between sets you're going to have better sessions or better sets you know because you're giving yourself more time to recover in both the anaerobic system and the aerobic system you know so again you have to kind of a lot of the 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 research is a bit kind of wishy-washy because they're not looking at the underlying training principles the underlying biochemistry the underlying biomechanics people are putting are putting so much um accent on uh, the quantity they are doing how much volume should i do how many sets should i do how many reps should i do um how much should i rest between sets and all that and uh, <laughs> very very little thought is is given in to how i do the exercise like you said, how do I make this rep as efficient as possible? And how do I maintain that quality throughout the 10 reps in this set and then throughout the 10 sets of this workout and then throughout the five workouts of this week and so on and so forth. So, so yeah, I, I agree, I agree. And uh, there are very few people who are uh, in that mindset that's... Um, um, obviously, you know Ben Pokorski and uh, his whole team at MI40 and Joe Bennett and all those guys, and I'm forever grateful to them because um, I, I, they really opened my mind, I guess. In They have changed my, like Ben likes to say, they changed my paradigm around exercise. And um, as much people like to disregard that, it, for me, it's been... Um, uh, absolutely life-changing if I might call it that and I've seen the same happen to many many people so so I know that many people like to give beginners they ch- uh, they say well you just should only focus on external uh, cues and um, not internal ones because that's skill and whatnot but I like I agree but uh, if your goal is muscle growth and you don't understand at all how those muscles work I guess up to a certain point it might work just fine, but then um, if a year or two down the line you develop some like lagging um, muscle groups and we have absolutely no idea what caused that or how you could improve that, or then <laughs> then I guess it's it's your fault or whoever's fault who who got you into that mindset I guess. Yeah, and and this is kind of the I don't know we'll call it the thought process of these people like they they have this quantitative goal with training you know rather than the qualitative goal but then those people will be the exact same people that give out about say a governmental recommendation like the the food pyramid or whatever it is which is essentially trying to give people this blanket quantitative 
go, you know? So it's like, it's the same thing you see in like the IIFYM community. It's like, oh yeah, well, it's just, it's just calories and macros that matter, you know? So they have no focus on qualitative or the, the quality of the diet. And it's like, yeah, like if you did X amount of training volume, like you're going to get some results. You know, if you eat X amount of calories and you put you in a deficit, like you're going to get some results. That doesn't mean that it's quote unquote, the most optimal way to do things or that you are actually maximizing your diet. So you're essentially like the people that give just all blanket volume recommendations or blanket intensity recommendations or whatever. Like I can understand why they do it, but it kind of leaves the conversation unfinished and people kind of think that's the end of the conversation because their favorite researcher said, oh, it's 20 sets per week. That's going to get you the best results, you know, without any recommendation of how high a quality those sets are, you know? Um, And it's the same with the nutrition side of things where people are like, oh, it's just X amount of calories. You need to be in X deficit or X surplus to gain or lose weight. And it's like, yeah, like this is 100%. Like you can't deny the laws of thermodynamics. Like that's, it's it's a fundamental, like even when they go into like quantum physics and stuff, like the fucking second law of thermodynamics still holds true, you know? So it's like your body is not getting over that. So calories 100% matter. But that does not mean that food selection doesn't matter. And it's the same conversation with training. Just because, yeah, you do X amount of volume, like you will get some results. Like that's, there's no denying that. And that's where that conversation comes where, oh, but bro, it worked for me. You know, like, yeah, you will get some results. That doesn't mean it's maximizing your training or it's maximizing your diet. Like it's the same conversation that people have. They have this unfinished conversation. Like, yeah, okay, you do the bench press, you do whatever, three sets of 10. And like, that's what the the bro at your gym said. And, and, and it worked for him and you do that. And it's like, cool, you're getting some results. Your chest is growing, but also your bicep tendon, every time you bench feels like it's about to rip off, you know, and, and you're in pain for the next three days, but your chest is growing. So yes, you're getting overloading of your chest musculature and it is growing so you are getting some results but that does not mean that it's optimal you know maybe stopping an inch off your chest is going to be more optimal because it keeps you injury free and you're still actually overloading potentially even overloading your chest more by stopping an inch off your chest you know so you you have to think of these things that it the the quantitative goals only work when you have the quality high like I would rather see someone do less sets in a workout but higher quality sets you know like I see people doing like five sets of 12 and they're doing I don't know eight different exercises and I'm like well, what the hell like how are, how are they doing that and I'm thinking of like I'm coming to that conversation with my idea of what a set looks like what a rep looks like like maximizing the tempo of that exercise and like the tempo is only a parameter to help you dial in tension like i don't think like time on time under tension itself is a driver of muscle growth it's only secondary to the conversation of actually having tension where you want it you know like that that's why you have a tempo in a program it's not because oh you do 70 seconds of time under tension and that's going to lead to your best muscle growth like that's in my eyes like that's a function of just being able to keep tension where you want it maximizing the metabolic stress maximizing you know the the muscular recruitment we'll call it um so that that's kind of where i think of like i'm like i'm coming to their conversation of them doing five sets of 12 for eight eight different exercises and i'm thinking man i'm maximizing 
my three sets of eight here and like they're killing me like i am like my my chest is pumped or whatever muscle group it is is pumped beyond belief like i'm getting very strong in these exercises that i'm doing and i'm looking at them going like i presume they're doing the same but then you actually see them training and it's it's all just momentum so of course they have to do five sets of 12 because only half of the the tension that they wanted was on the muscle group that they wanted you know so half of the time it was just either momentum doing the work like they're just bouncing it off their chest or whatever um or they are shifting that tension somewhere else like the 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 tension is going on to non-contractile structures like ligaments tendons that kind of stuff you know and it's like okay so i understand why you have to do so much volume because your reps are shit you know like you're not you're you're not keeping attention where it's supposed to be for your goal you know and again it, it is kind of the waters are muddied because perhaps your goal is to develop a sport and the exercise you have to do to develop that is beyond your range or your beyond or beyond your ability to keep the tension where you want it so you're going to have to overload these structures and just live with it and live with the consequences of that if that is your sport you know but if you're looking to maximize your physique like that the 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 water shouldn't be muddied there you know it should be what's what exercise is going to give me the most tension on the musculature and give me the best ability to contract that musculature and progressively overload the tension on that musculature and then you start thinking about volume you start thinking about intensity you know so you've maximized the tension on the muscle you've maximized your individual rep you know like i've taken people through workouts and they're telling me that they're normally doing that you know 200 rep workout and um, for for a single muscle group and i'm like okay cool like we'll go through we'll start off again i don't know shoulders or something we'll start off dumbbell shoulder press and we we fix the dumbbell shoulder press so the tension is exactly where we want it we slow down the tempo we slow down the control of it and like they're dying after two sets you know and it's like they're like oh i've never felt this much you know blood in this muscle i've never felt this much of a pump i've never felt this much tension on the muscle it feels like it's about to explode like and it's like this is what all your reps should feel like this is what all your sets should feel like so you're doing all this volume because you you have to focus on the quantity because you've just completely ignored the quality you can't see my my face but uh, i'm nodding my head like crazy and i definitely agree with you for as far as tempo yeah i I am the same i kind of imagine how i would like the exercise to look like and then i attribute tempo that in my mind achieves that the best way so it's not that i think that uh, four second eccentric is somehow magical but in my mind, I honestly think that if I prescribe a four-second eccentric, they might do a two-and-a-half-second eccentric or maybe a three-second eccentric. So that should be pretty good to actually allow that muscle to do to do um, the work that it's supposed to do. And um, whenever I see someone say that, well, they do 30 sets per week for a particular muscle group, and if they don't look like Doug Miller then there is a very high chance that uh, <laughs> at least half of that, if not two-thirds of that, is just absolute shit, like you said. And um, that's one of the things that bothers me a bit when someone criticizes the whole constant tension thing or, well, why should you keep the tension on muscle? I mean, why sh- can't, you, can't you just lift that weight up and down and that muscle at some point is going to do some work? And it's true, but, but then you might end up having to do, like you said, five sets of 12 instead of two or three sets of 12 to get the same outcome 
and that just means that you have one much higher um, time demands because you have to spend more time in the gym which like you said it's not really practical for most and two even if that's uh, no uh, issue for you the additional stress is going to go somewhere and uh, over months and years it might add up and uh, might cost you some longevity and um, we actually addressed this in quite some detail in my podcast with Scott Stevenson we both agreed that longevity is probably the most important factor actually being able to go in and do your workouts and if you're injured <laughs> you can it's very hard to grow muscles if you are actually in debilitating pain <laughs> so yeah and this again like it's people just lose the forest for their trees and people actually forget their goals you know because they they get enamored with this certain dogma where it's like oh i have to do five sets of 12 and it's like yeah but your goal is to be able to you know play with your kids when you're older you know you want to be able to you know run around and do whatever and it's like you've you've just been almost lied to will say that oh yeah the training program that i'm doing is actually accomplishing those goals when it's not like again you have to take into account like what are your actual goals and this is where people fall down like they haven't addressed their goals they're just following like blindly training recommendations that aren't training recommendations for them and you'll see this again with nutrition training lifestyle whatever field in this whole sphere that we're in where people look at a study and they forget that they're not the population that was studied you know this it just doesn't apply to them so if you're you know a mom of five kids and you've got a ridiculously busy schedule and you see online that it's like oh well i do five sets of 12 and my my workouts take two hours you know that that's not you like that, that doesn't inform your decisions like i'd rather see you be able to do three sets of 12 and your work gets done because you maximize those those three sets and you're getting results from that you're you're actually growing from that like in my opinion like i want to see people getting the most from the least you know like again looking at it like on a, on a cellular level or a biochemical level like you want to maximize your anabolic environment if muscle growth is the the goal so if you're doing all this junk volume that your body can't recover from like you you're just doing way more volume than you actually can recover from like you're creating a stressor on the body that is going to take you longer to recover from and thus lower your anabolic potential we'll call it because you know maybe you do six sets on a monday for your chest and you every single second of tension was dialed in on that chest and as a result you know you got a great workout you're getting stronger you are you can visually see you're building muscle but the person that's doing 12 sets on the monday they're not able to recover from that so you come into say thursday and you're going oh it's time to train chest again because you know such and such a study said that hitting the muscle twice a, twice a week is the best approach for growth and that person that's trying to hit that chest again after doing 12 junk sets isn't recovered enough to actually maximize their second session whereas the person that was you know dialed in for less volume on the first session they're recovered now you know their their overall stressed environment is lower but yet they're able to train on the thursday and maximize that thursday session then again you know so you have to look into that like what are you actually able to recover from and i don't mean just like oh yeah i feel recovered my muscles aren't sore anymore like training is a stressor at the end of the day like if you are stressing yourself more than your recovery capacity like you are lowering your ability to train long term because you're not actually able to maximize 
the amount of times you can stimulate that musculature in a given training cycle in a given week whatever it is so you've had a very recent um, instagram post about the arbitrary definition of full range of motion and um, essentially that people define it looking at some external point perhaps their chest perhaps their um, hip joint relative to their knee or um, where the bar is compared to their body or whatnot so what do you think a better um, definition or a better view of full range of motion should be and perhaps we can also touch on the difference between active and passive range of motion because we uh, or you uh, uh, briefly hovered <laughs> uh, around it and um, also maybe if uh, can also discuss how that can be differentiated between just being an ego lifter and uh, not doing a, a fuller range of motion because uh, the weight is just too high for you to handle it. And I think that's very obvious in people when they do their warm-up sets. I'm sure you've seen the guy who um, loads up the bar for a squat and um, he squats deep, 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 perfect-looking squat. And then he puts on uh, 20 kilos each side and he goes down and the range of motion now is shortened by uh, 10%. And then he puts another 20 kilos on the bar and now he just goes 75% of the original range of motion, and by the time he gets to his uh, third or fourth set, he's only doing half of the of the range of motion he did initially. So in that case, it definitely wasn't a, an active range of motion issue. It was just an active ego issue. <laughs> like this, this is one of the harder things as well for people to get because it actually requires you to have a deeper understanding of biomechanics anatomy even physiology as well so it's kind of hard to somewhat visualize it you know like i'll try to do my best in terms of actually help people visualize it but it almost needs to be seen and felt but essentially like having an external focus on your training it is a viable strategy right and to what we talk about, you might go, oh, well, wait, you're just saying that it's not good, but it potentially is good. Like, yes, you have to, again, take it back to your goals. Like, if your goal is to get good at a bench press to your chest for the sport of powerlifting, you are going to have to have an external focus because your sport requires you to have your exercise measured by an external factor, i.e. touching the bar to your chest, holding it there for a second, and pressing that bar to complete lockout at the top of the movement, right? So you have an external measure of that exercise because of your sport. However, if your goal is to maximize your physique, you should be thinking internal processes. So you should be looking at the active range of motion. And that is a concept that, to some extent, is hard to visualize, but also, to some extent, is pretty easy to perform we'll say like you could literally step if you're sitting now you can literally bring your arms back like if you bring your elbows out to your side as if you're about to you know go to a bench press and bring your arms back like your elbows back as far as you can and see where if you had a bar in your hand where does that feel on your chest like is it touching your chest is it below your chest because for some people it may be you know but for some people to touch their chest they're going to have to 
either internally rotate at the shoulder they're going to have to do something funky with the shoulder to get that bar down to their chest or they're going to have to have you know an external stimulus push them into that position like they're going to have to have the bar to put them into that position you'll see this as well like you you said the example of someone squatting and you know they first of all they hit a deep squat and you know it's like rock bottom and then they start loading up more and more weight and they they start shortening the range of motion. You'll also see this the opposite way where someone someone will so they, they they don't have the active range of motion to get into a deep squat position until they get past three plates. You know, like they do one plate aside, you know, sixty kilos on the bar and their squats are like fucking higher than a giraffe's asshole. Like it's like proper like properly like ridiculously high, right? And then they load on 100 kilos and you're like, oh man, this guy's going to be an ego lifter. He's going to injure himself. I'm sitting in the gym. I kind of feel responsible. And then, you know, the 100 kilos goes on. And you're like, oh, actually, you got a little bit deeper there in that one. Then the 140 goes on. Now, all of a sudden, he's hitting parallel. And it's like, you you are now going into this, we'll call it passive range of motion because you actively weren't able to get into that range of motion until you started loading up the body and forcing yourself into that range of motion you know like we're talking about oh not touching your chest in the bench press may be better for your overall physique development that doesn't mean that if i didn't if i forced your hand down like i could push you into a position that is beyond your active range of motion like the range of motion that you're actively able to bring your hands like i can push you past that like i can manually resist and or manually assist that and push you into the end range of that bench press you know so you are going beyond your active range of motion like the range of motion that you actively can control and then you're moving into that passive range of motion you know and this kind of again it hurts my brain because on some things people were like oh jesus no that's that's bad like oh i wouldn't i wouldn't want to do that you know i wouldn't want to go into this this passive range because i'm going to injure myself like you see this with people stretching you know they're like oh no man no i can't stretch and you know go beyond this active range that i have control of like i'm not i'm not going to do it because i'm going to cause myself injury but they'll do it on a bench press you know and it's like this like you're 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 training processes your thought processes around training are not coherent you know so the active passive range argument you almost need to see it like you can define active range and we can define passive range but you need to have that internal perspective that ability to internally visualize it and internally feel it to know what we're actually talking about and this again is why i can understand how these recommendations come about because if i'm giving you a blanket recommendation and i want you to do a, a bench press like i can either say i want you to do this bench press and i want you to stay within your active range of motion right and that then means i have to explain active range i have to potentially show you your active range i then have to you know go through all these extra steps to ensure that you're doing it correctly within your range of motion or i can just say yeah just bench press and touch your chest and then i'm done you know so I can understand why this external pro- or thought process has evolved because it's way easier to explain an exercise there, give you this standardized, this is what a lunge looks like, this is what a squat looks like, this is what X exercise looks like and have no internal perspective because it's harder to describe that internal perspective. But again, it's like the food pyramid. You know, yeah, it's, it's a good general recommendation, but it completely ignores the qualitative information that we have available 
you know? Yeah, I think it, uh, again, comes back to giving individual advice versus giving a general advice for a large audience. So um, if you're going to do an interview on CNN or whatever, or be on Joe Rogan's podcast or whatnot, then and potentially be viewed or heard by millions, then when someone asks you how low should you bring a bar, probably you're going to say, well, you should bring it to your chest because that's... Uh, there's no ambiguity there. You either touched your chest or you didn't. So it, uh, in a way, it clears up the confusion and it um, it creates a reliable uh, a reliable um, point of contact, I guess, and end of range of motion. Although uh, that's only reliable as long as you are honest with yourself, because I'm sure you've seen the guy who, again, he brings the bar down to your, his chest. And then as he starts to fatigue, he starts to bring, um, he lifts up his butt, so he kind of meets the ball halfway, <laughs> halfway up in the air. So, I mean, he still touched his chest, right? So that was a full range of motion. But of course, people are going to say, well, um, but of course it wasn't because he lifted his butt. And then I might ask if I'm being snarky, but what changed? I mean, you said he had to touch his chest. He touched it, so... <laughs> you know, and uh, then you kind of maybe maybe give people some uh, something to think about that. Well, uh, maybe he has a point there. Maybe it's a bit arbitrary to just think bar to the chest and without taking into account anything else. Yeah, like the the way I look at it, like all these exercises we perform in the gym and all this conversation we're having, you have to view it within the lens that it is all arbitrary at the end of the day. Like all exercise is made up. You know, like this, th- like they are not we'll call it natural functional. Human mo- yeah <laughs> functional movement natural human movement whatever you want to call it like it is all made up at the end of the day like people love the bench press like but the bench press came from like olympic lifting because people wanted to overload their triceps you know like so they started floor pressing and then they were like oh like i hate going down on the floor so here's a bench you're going to start bench pressing you know sitting on the lying down on the bench and then all these rules developed around it because doing these certain rules allowed them to maximize the weight they could lift and then it was like oh well like you said like his his butt came up so oh no that that one doesn't count and it's like you've just created all these arbitrary rules around an exercise because well just because you know it's like it's a made up exercise at the end of the day you know it's not a hard and fast exercise like this is this is the exercise it's like it's all made up you know and you should just be choosing exercises that are still made up but exercises that are more applicable to your goals to your structures you know like again people love the squat and say oh it's the king of exercises but guess what people were training before the invention of squat racks you know so they weren't squatting like they were what i can't even remember what the the name of the lift is but essentially they used to load up a bar and have it standing and then pull it onto their back in a deep squat position and then stand up and do their squats you know uh so like you can you can look at all that kind of stuff up and again people were lifting weights training before the invention of barbells and dumbbells and machines and all this kind of stuff so at the end of the day it is all made up like and you look at human evolution like there's parts of our body parts of our musculature that you know evolved like we evolved from fish you know so there's parts of our musculature that's only going to be able to be targeted if we have almost like a fish-like movement like your spine is like segmented and you know it it, it does move but people don't move their spines anymore more like how many times have you gone into really really deep spinal flexion or really really deep 
spinal extension and then both side to side like lateral uh, spinal flexion you know like how many times have you done that and people are like oh no like i would never do that like oh man that butt wink in your squat like oh jesus like that's that is awful and it's like all of these things are arbitrary like yes they have a reason behind them like a rationale behind them but having these arbitrary definitions of an exercise is at the end of the day arbitrary because all exercises are made up it's not like you have to go out and move and hunt down your food and evade predators and do whatever else like you you were just doing exercises for the sake of doing exercises because you have potentially a goal you know so i would rather see someone choose the best exercises for their bodies that's going to keep them injury free that's going to allow them to actually get to their goal and do it safely and in the most time efficient manner and i just rather get rid of all this dogmatic thought around this is the best exercise or this is the the essential exercise you must do to actually be able to proficiently move and again it's even the same in sports not just physique development because they'll have all these things like oh you need to squat if you want to do well in sport and it's like well maybe this person is just completely not built to squat you know, like it's a basketball player. Like I'm, you're a 10 foot basketball player and you, the femur is longer than me. Like they're fucking six foot five femurs, you know, like you're just all femur. Am I going to get that person to squat? Like probably not, but their squatting is essential for, you know, athletic development. It's like, well, like for that individual, maybe it's not like maybe he's going to get way more of a training stimulus out of a leg press and, that that's going to help him towards his goal better than a squat ever 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 will and again the same kind of thought process around exercise selection for athletes where they're like oh like you have to do the olympic lifts and their derivatives and it's like this this like you may be like i'm six foot five like if i wanted to do a snatch right and like i have snatched before i've i've become quite proficient at snatching but like the for me to maximize the snatch i would have to have a longer bar like my hands are collar to collar and like you generally they say like you know the bar should be decrease your hips when you have hands to to whatever width it should be for your snatch and like that even collar to collar like that bar is below my groin you know so for me like i'm never going to be proficient in an arbitrary snatch that we have defined you know because the bar isn't long enough for me as an individual so I'm now changing my body essentially to suit that exercise rather than changing the exercise to suit my body, which is what the end goal was actually supposed to be, you know? So it, the whole conversation around this exercise selection, like it is arbitrary at the end of the day and all of the recommendations and all of the goals are arbitrary because you should realistically be choosing exercises that suit your body, that suit your individual goals and suit your mechanics as a whole and yes we do have to obviously take into account the psychological side of things as well like I, I love squatting you know but like a back squat like i'm not really built to back squat like it's a lot of stress at the the hip joint for me like i'm getting way more overload on my glutes than i am on my quads so if i was to choose a back squat for you know quad development it's probably not the best exercise for that goal but i, I love squatting so you know maybe i choose a front squat versus a back squat or maybe i choose like a safety bar squat instead of the back squat 
and I'm still squatting, I'm still getting that like psychological benefit or whatever you want to call it from squatting because that's what I enjoy and I'm actually overloading the structures that I want to overload. You know, it may not be the quote unquote best exercise, like maybe a hack squat may be better for me given my mechanics, given my ability to dial in the stability and the tension on my quads, but you know, I actually just like squatting. So you do have to take into account the psychological side of things as well. So I think we've we've kind of gotten away from the conversation of fitting exercises to the individual and we've kind of moved the conversation, I don't know why, but towards fitting individuals to the exercise, you know? And yeah. it's like that that's not giving the individual the best outcomes for them. You know, it's it's almost like you're stroking your ego because you've shown them the way, the best exercise, the squat, the bench press. And it's like, yeah, man, these are going to be the best exercises. And it's like, this, these are not the best exercises for you as an individual, you know? Totally. And I was thinking, I think the easiest um, way for people to conceptualize the difference between active and passive range of motion is to think if they lay, they lay down on their back and they want to bring their knees toward their, so essentially they perform a knee um flexion um how high up can do without their lower back coming off the floor is would be their active range of motion while if they were being under anesthesia and doctor or whatever try to lift up their um, knees they might end up touching their face or something like that so kind of that uh, difference between the the two would be the difference between active and passive range of motion so in that regard, it's definitely, as long as it's not structural, it's something that can be improved. And I know because I've done it myself, for example, my Romanian deadlift has the range of motion has increased probably a good, I would say at least three inches, something like that. So I used to only be able to come down to my, just under my kneecap. And right now I'm probably around almost at my ankles, something like that. So that's quite a significant difference. And I haven't done amounts of foam rolling or static stretching or anything like that. It's just been loading it over and over again and uh, gradually increasing uh, the range of motion I can access. So if someone wants to increase their active range of motion for a given muscle, what advice would you give them since you're so passionate about stretching and I've seen you trying to do the split and all that? Yeah, so like flexibility, mobility. It's all a function of strength at the end of the day. Like flexibility, we'll say that's more on the, the passive range of things, right? Because like like you said there, if I put you under anesthetic and I just moved your body into a split position and you just had no muscular tension whatsoever, like I can probably move you into that position. Again, taking into account that there's no structural issue, you know, your, your joints are actually able to go into that. You know, if there was just no tension on your muscles and you were just, you know, dead weight we'll say like i can probably get you into a pretty decent split position but if you if i was to ask you to actively get into that position like probably no hope you know like very few people train to be able to do the splits like i can do the splits like the side splits and the front splits Um, like i'm really trying to tidy them up like really keep my hips square and stuff in them now but for most people it's one of those conversations where it's like, is that your goal? Like, I know it's my goal because again, I like fighting. I like being able to do like an, an overhead kick and like, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so for me, like, yeah, it has an, an end goal in mind, but if you're just looking to actively increase your active range of motion, realize that it is a function of strength. And the reason it is an active range of motion is because you're strong enough to actively control 
the 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 musculature the joints everything in that range of motion like like you said there like that one is actually a really good example like lying on your back because although you don't have to actually lie on your back for this like get in a leg press and then think of where is like where is your bottom range of motion like where is the range that you have that you can actively control you get into a leg press like a 45 degree leg press like lift your feet off that leg press like bring your knees towards your chest you know where do you have that active range where do, where does that end for you like where can you lift your foot off that leg press and bring your knee towards your chest because that is your the end range of that active range of motion, you know, presuming that you're not like stealing that range from your lower back by, you know, tilting the pelvis or whatever. Like everything, everything is locked down. Your hips are locked down. Your back is locked down. Everything is locked down against that back pad. And where is that range of motion at the end of the leg press where you can lift your foot off it? You can bring that knee towards your chest and still be in active control of that movement, you know? So that's the end of your active range for that leg press, say, you know? So that's kind of an easier one for people to conceptualize because most people are kind of, well, some, some people are doing, you know, a 45 degree leg press, you know, but a lot of people, what they do is they'll get in that 45 degree leg press and then they'll go way beyond their active range of motion. Like they'll, they'll let the, the sled or the weight bring them down beyond that. And their pelvis then will start stealing tension. It'll start rotating to accommodate that. And that's why people are kind of like, Oh, my back really hurts after, <laughs> after the leg press, you know, cause you're, st- you're stealing that range that you don't have active control of like yes you might be able to just slightly go beyond that active range of motion and not have the pelvis move you're just moving slightly into passive range and then you'll start doing this is actually a really good one as well when you see like someone say oh i have a sticking point in the bench press and generally it's like two to three inches off their chest and it's like is that a sticking point or is that just a transition point between your passive range of motion and now your active range of motion like you were just storing a load of elastic energy in your muscles and as soon as that got you over that passive range now you actually have to use musculature like you actually have to use your muscles to do it perform the exercise you know you're not just relying on elastic energy to uh, pop you back up you know so if someone was genuinely looking to increase their active range of motion, which I do or I would recommend everyone increasing their ability to control their joints and control their body, you know, it's all just a function of strength. Like, it, again, using that analogy of the, the leg press, like when, when people perform leg extensions, you should be thinking of shortening your hip joint and the, the the quad itself you know so you should be slightly leaning forward so you can actually maximize the the uh, rectus femoris in that as well you know but it's it's an active movement that should be improving your active range of motion by getting very strong in that top range of a quad extension you know and that exact movement is the exact same movement you're going to be in the front the front leg of the splits you know like that's where it is so your hamstrings have to be maximally lengthened in that range you know well not maximally but lengthened anyway in that range to do a leg extension well a perfectly designed leg extension we'll say um so you should be getting strong in that top position so like improving your active range is just a function of getting strong the best methods i've found for it is uh dr andrio spina's work you know the functional range conditioning like he's he's very good in terms of his thought processes around improving your ability to control these end ranges of motion because that's essentially what it is you're just trying to control these end ranges of motion that you have you know so if it if it is this does fall in line with your goals that you want to improve your ability to 
do the splits or do these things like realize that yes some of these movements that people perform they are just passive movements so to an extent you're going to be limited by your passive ranges of motion which are potentially limited by your joint structures and your muscle bellies and whatever else and but if you want to do these like a mad kick overhead or whatever it is you're going to have to just get strong in that position you know so it's all just a function of strength so get strong and get strong in those quote unquote sports specific uh movements like if, if you're thinking of it it's almost like a sport like that movement you want to get good at is is gymnastics you know um so or dancing you know so you just have to get strong in it mm-hmm. yeah yeah and unfortunately on the leg extension um, many people that is the shortened range the end uh, 25% of the moment or whatever it is, that's where people bail out because that's where it's the hardest. And unfortunately, machines don't really help either because they are so... <laughs> I know because in our gym, we have a two-in-one, we have a leg extension and a leg curl hybrid. And with that machine, you just can't design it properly because if you were to design the leg extension, for example, the way it's supposed to be, that it would be a bit lighter at the top because that's where you're weakest then at the end of the lecture it would be super hard so you wouldn't be able to shorten your hamstring <laughs> properly because it would be um then it would create a um it would throw off the resistance profile for the other exercise so they kind of had to find the sweet spot where it's kind of hard and and it's not the best but it still gets the job done but i'm curious do you take into account things like resistance profiles and do you everything do you do anything to account for that or um, do you think that's just, uh, as some people like to call it, just overthinking? Yeah, like ideally, in an ideal world, all machines would be perfectly designed so that you're able to fit the, the strength profile of the musculature you're trying to target, you know? It's never going to happen. Like, yes, you want to take that into account. And you, especially if you're trying to maximize your physique development, you're going to have to take that into account. And whether that's, you know what's called accommodating resistance you know maybe you slap some bands on an exercise or whatever it is so it better fits the the strength profile of that musculature that you're trying to target like yeah it all has a place in a training program however for some people well for most people it's it's it is going too deep into the conversation because they're not going to have access to the things that are needed to overload the musculature in the ideal way however you can get around this like somewhat by choosing exercises that maybe they overload a certain portion of the range and then other exercises that overload a different portion of the range like maybe you have an exercise you start off with an exercise that it kind of fits the the middle of the profile and generally you'll be able to get very strong in that kind of range of motion so you've got an exercise that fits there then you choose an exercise that you know more we'll say better matches the the shortened range of that musculature and then maybe you choose an exercise that uh, focuses on the lengthened range of that musculature like maybe like we'll say for chest because everyone loves to train chest like maybe you do have a bench press maybe you then have uh, a cable fly and you're really focusing on that like shortened range and then maybe you have like a dumbbell fly and you're really focusing on that lengthened range so you, you can get around it somewhat but like you're never going to unless you have ideally matched machines or ideally matched i know bands or chains or something um you're never going to 
perfectly matched a strength profile. Like if you're just going to use barbells and dumbbells and rocks or whatever it is you're lifting with. Um, if you're just relying on gravity, like your musculature isn't designed, well, it is. It isn't designed with gravity in mind, you know? So like, yeah, when it is applicable, I do try to take into account the, the resistance profile of a given exercise, the, the strength profile of given musculature, both in terms of like the program design as a whole, and then also what equipment that person has available to them. Like if I see I'm training someone online and they're, I'm like, they're, I'm in this gym. Generally what I try to do is look up that gym, see if that gym has the equipment that they have online, like pictures of it or whatever. Cause you can kind of see from the pictures or maybe you've used the machine before or you know what that machine is like. You're like, okay, so that one's actually really good. It has a really nice drop off, like in the leg extension or something. It has a really nice drop off at the top range of motion. So that leg extension is going to be perfect for what we want to do with your program maybe they're doing a leg extension and they're in their gym it's way heavier at the top maybe you know and it's like okay well you know we're going to focus less time on that and we're going to do these other lifts to accomplish training that shortened range you know so like there it should be taken into account but it depends on how much you want to maximize your return on investment you know and this is kind of where people they get to that stage and they're like really worrying about the, the subtle nuances and that's generally the stage where people just start taking drugs because they're like, oh man, I'm, I'm not, I'm not bothered like doing all this to really maximize the last five kilos of my muscular development. I'd rather just, you know, do a cycle and I'll get those five kilos like, like, you know, so that it kind of, yes, it should be taken into account. Again, it comes back to learning more about anatomy, physiology, the overall biomechanics of your body as and of bodies in general and then you can better or you're better able to make exercise selection choices better able to make resistance training selection processes you know yeah completely agree with you and i always like my clients to send me photos of their equipment uh, um, so i can actually like i said i can see what they have available and program accordingly but what kills me is when i i do like to use bands um on certain exercises to improve the resistance profile. And what kills me is when people try to copy me or whatever, maybe they saw it from someone else online and whatnot, and they got it backwards. So, for example, I've seen this. People started in our gym. People started loading up. We have a lacquer that's laying lacquer. That it's hardest at the at the top, at the short range, which is essentially, it's already a, a um, kind of a uneven resistance professor. You're already very, very weak in that top range and then they throw a band on top of that machine so that uh, that uh, top third of movement becomes even harder so they can't even contract their hamstrings <laughs> not even as much as they could previously so it's completely useless but hey they use bands so they look cool with it <laughs> that's it as well like you'll see people doing like slapping on some chains onto a barbell row or something and you're like, yeah, okay, cool. It looks cool for Instagram. You're like, I'm, I'm an animal. But it's like, that's, that is a terrible way to match the resistance profile of the musculature that you're trying to develop. You know, so like generally when I see people slapping bands on to back exercises, I'm like, oh, like unless that machine has some weird drop off stuff going on that really, you know, is changing the mechanics. It's like, like bands and chains and stuff for back isn't generally going to accomplish the goal that you're trying to accomplish with it you're actually making it harder than it needs to be like you're, you're overloading 
the wrong side the, the wrong side of it yeah and it's like like it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah okay i understand you saw someone use bands and you you find this exercise now it's like oh man this is 10 times harder it's like yeah but it's 10 times harder because you've just made the exercise less effective you've 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 made your body less effective at being able to do this exercise you know one final topic i want to address is the concern of developing what's called adaptive resistance so essentially being um, so adapted and i know that is this is the wrong term but that's what people use that you become so adapted to an exercise that uh, you can no longer progress on it uh, in the sense that no matter how many sets you do or no matter how many reps you do with it you just don't really get that um, um, reward or return from it and um, I'm just curious on what you think about this what are your thoughts because I think um, that yes partially it's probably true that uh, when you introduce a new exercise you seem to be receiving better results. And I'm not talking necessarily about neurological um, gains, but simply um, from a physique enhancement point of view. But secondarily, yes, it becomes harder because as you become more and more trained, just programs become uh, progress becomes slower and slower. So it's not... It's it's it, it's adaptive res- resistance in the sense that it's um, universal and you just become more trained and shit just becomes harder and slower yeah like there is obviously a limit to your body's ability to perform an exercise like think of it again like in a sporting performance type of thing like there's a limit to how fast a body can run you know like usain bolt if he was to run his absolute maximal fastest and he did all of his training and was as hyper trained as possible and he'd been developed as an athlete since a very very young age there's still a limit to his body's ability to run at maximal speeds you know like there there is a limit to the body's ability to perform an exercise so the concept itself makes sense however the way people apply it you know someone will have done an exercise for six weeks and like you said they're just getting the neurological benefits and it's like yeah i'm slapping on plates i'm really learning this exercise and i'm getting really strong at it. and then as soon as they actually have to start making you know musculature or muscle adaptations it's like oh now it's getting really hard i'm just gonna i'm just gonna switch exercises shock the body shock the musculature (laughs) you know and that is one thing and the, the usain bolt thing is a completely different thing you know so the only way i would agree with that is if you've done an exercise and slowly progressively overloaded it and done that for like years and years and years like you're a 50 year old power lifter who has been bench pressing since he was 12 like yeah like maybe you're not going to get a huge amount extra from the bench press you know both in terms of a muscular development side of things and a neurological side of things so the the concept itself is correct but the way people apply it is ass backwards you know it's it's like, okay, yeah, as soon as an exercise gets harder because you've been doing it for a while and, yeah, you, you feel like you've maximized the, the return on investment, but you're only just starting. You've only done this exercise for 12 weeks. So, like, have you really maximized your return on investment? Are you just changing the exercise now because, you know, it is getting a little bit harder to progressively overload this and you've essentially gotten rid of those newbie gains 
on the that exercise you know and again that is why people switch out exercises because you know they start getting hard because you know you've developed as an athlete as a physique as a neurological system and the exercise is going to always get harder as you advance because you're lifting more weights in it so there is a limit to the amount of weights that your body can lift and then also whenever you specialize in anything you do lose some generalizability i suppose you'd call it you know so you do have to take that into account it's like this is adaptive exercise or whatever it's just a natural function of lifting it's just a natural function of your body you know like yes there is the argument that your body becomes more efficient at performing that lift both from a neurological standpoint and a muscular standpoint so maybe you aren't getting as much out of that exercise as you originally were but that doesn't mean you just get rid of it and throw it out you know like there is still gains to be had there but those gains are going to be much much slower than maybe you're willing to get from that like it might take you whatever 10 years to add the next 50 kilos to your squat that's like people are like what I, I, I used to be able to add five kilos a week you know so like yeah they're, they're like it's just a natural consequence of training yeah i'm i'm still i was i was again thinking through as you were talking there and i'm i'm not sure um at this point i i i'm not really sure i mean i have my thoughts but i'm very open to them changing and uh, um i can see arguments for uh, both of those um for me personally um, and taking into account psychology i think very few people are going to enjoy the same exercise um, and do them months and months and months on end. And um, perhaps it's not physiological, perhaps it's just psychological and uh, they get some extra growth from it simply because they enjoy it more. But um, from a practical point of view, that still makes sense. So so yeah, I, I usually like to... Like, don't change completely, but um, for example... In, I, in this mesocycle, I changed from a flat Smith machine press, and I know Smith blasphemy. <gasps> I know, <laughs> so I changed from a flat, which with my angle and whatnot, it's essentially slightly kind if you were to. But anyway, it's a flat bench, so whatever. Uh, I changed it from a flat to a twenty degree incline press. So not a whole lot of difference, but still, it's slightly different. It's going to recruit probably slight different muscle fiber in slightly different ways, and it's something new, and I can enjoy it and look forward to progressing on it. So that's cool. Yeah, like, and that is the thing. Like, you're, it comes down to that kind of programming perspective. You don't both have to respect the the physiology and the psychology of the individual in front of you, and of course, then that involves potentially swapping out exercises before you've maximized quote-unquote maximized your return on investment from that exercise purely because they just fucking hate the exercise now they're bored of it they're they're not progressing on it because oh it's like oh that exercise i have to do that again and they're not putting forth their their best effort because they just don't enjoy the exercise anymore so you do have to take that side of things into account but again it comes down to a, a programming perspective of things like what why are all your exercises in here like what are you trying to achieve from that exercise is it an enjoyment from the training is it a musculature development is it a strength development like everything in your program should have a reason to be there and there are more than one ways to skin a cat you know so there are more than one way to 
get that adaptation that you're trying to get. So again, the exercise itself is a means to an end because the exercises are just made up. So there's going to be other exercises. Like again, like people are like, oh, the bench press, that's going to be the key to developing your best chest. And it's like, well, what about a dip? Maybe that's going to be better for you. You know, maybe you're you're going to enjoy that more. Maybe, you know, that fixes this funky stuff that's going on in your scapula. And now you actually have to, you know, stabilize at your scapula more. And it's recruiting different musculature but it's also accomplishing the same goal. You do a mesocycle of dips and then all of a sudden you go back to your bench press, which was, you know, stuck at whatever weight and you weren't progressing, you weren't enjoying it. And now because you've done this other exercise, you've actually enhanced your body's ability to perform the bench press and you've developed your chest more, you know? So it's like, you have to realize that there are more than one way to skin a cat and there are different exercises that are going to achieve the same outcome or potentially a better outcome, you know? Because again, at the end of the day, an external thing, the exercise itself, is creating an internal adaptation. You know, yes, they are; those adaptations are specific, but they are also generalizable as well. You know, so once you know why an exercise is in your program, then you can start chopping and changing things based on the goal that that exercise is trying to achieve. Like again, if you think of it, I'm trying to overload the lengthened range of this exercise. And that's the goal of that exercise being in the program. There's hundreds of exercises that are going to be able to develop that, you know? You know, like say again, like, oh, you're like, oh, I heard unilateral work uh, is good for developing legs, we'll say. It's like, okay, that could look like a lunge. That could look like a Bulgarian split squat. That could look like a front foot elevated split squat. Like it could look like a hundred thousand different things, you know? So... Once you understand why an exercise is in your program and the goal that's being accomplished with that exercise, then you can start, you know, chopping and changing things in the context of a properly designed program with long-term goals as well as short-term goals, obviously. Again, um, there are so many things that we could touch on. Um, It just popped into my mind that we haven't even said that uh, an exercise that might suit you poorly at one time might be an excellent choice years down the line. And I had that epiphany with the flat press. But again, it's not the bench press, the Smith machine press, because I prefer it more. And uh, the way I, 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 I know how to set up right now, it's it's great for my chest. But years ago, what I got from the flat barbell press was shoulder pain and no chest growth. So that's another consideration that uh, people might keep uh, back in their mind that just because an exercise doesn't fit you right now it's not a good choice right now it might be um, six months down the line a year or two years down the line so you might want to return and give it another shot and um, maybe this time it work better that's especially true of like the bench press like say you're stopping an inch off your chest and that's your your active range of motion and if you grow an inch on your chest or half an inch on your chest and i know like half an inch on some sort of back musculature like the exercise now is touching your chest and it's a perfect exercise because it touches your chest now, you know? So you do have to take into account that, yeah, like your body is adapting to the stimulus you're putting into it. And those adaptations are specific, but general at the same time. So, you know, an exercise that, like you said, was maybe terrible for you at one stage is now good for you. You know, maybe it's the exercise you need to develop further, you know? Absolutely. Um, I think we will end it here because um, I don't want to take up any more of your time. You've been more than generous uh, as it is. 
And uh, I know I asked you, I think I asked you the last time we spoke and maybe since then you've reflected on it or maybe had some changes in your uh, in your response. So what is your definition of success? My definition of success, maybe a different answer than I gave before, but it would generally be being the best man that I can be, you know, being the type of person that people not so much look up to like I'm not in it for the fame I'm not in it for the glory or whatever like I just want to be the type of man that at my dad's funeral like I can give a speech and I can be the pillar of the the family that people can rely on me so that's my definition of success like money doesn't enthuse me fucking fame doesn't enthuse me I just want to be the best man that I can be Perfect. And that's a great way to end the episode. So thanks again, Patty, for uh, all the great work you do at uh, Triage and uh, for giving up your time today to have this awesome chat with me. No, thank you for having me on. Okay, so that was episode 29 of the Muscle Energy Podcast with Patty Ferrell. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you find it uh, valuable. And uh, to end it, as usual, I will go over some of my own takeaways and nuggets from the episode. So first of all, I really want to highlight uh, something that was hopefully very clear and that there's really no quote-unquote must-do exercise when it comes to uh, muscle growth. Like Exercises are really just artificially made up tools and ways for you to contract your muscles against a resistance so basically any form of resistance and uh, any exercise that achieves that goal can work just fine now there are some obvious um, criterias and um, sort of boxes that have to be ticked in order for an exercise to be effective and efficient but that's a conversation for another time. But until then, suffice to say that, uh, let's say you want a big chest, uh, there is really no mandatory exercise. You don't have to necessarily do flat presses or whatever. So that would be sort of my first big takeaway. The second is around the concept of full range of motion and particularly this uh, external view that many people seem to have. Like, for example, a full range of motion means you have to touch the bar to your chest, which can be a full range of motion for someone, can be way past their active range of motion or can be way within and they actually could go even beyond that point or that stoppage that their chest uh, provides. So let's say someone has super short arms, uh, they might be better suited by a cambered bar, for example, which would allow them to go even deeper. Or uh, on the contrary, if someone has super long arms, they might have to stop like two inches uh, above their chest in order to not get um, into a vulnerable or compromised position when it comes to their shoulders and and their GH joint. So um, that's just one example of uh, how externally looking at exercises doesn't really tell us a whole lot. There is another concept related to it, which is the difference between the full range of motion available at a, at a joint or the full range of motion over which a muscle can contract 
and the forming of motion of the exercise, which are not the same thing by far. I could go on and on and on, but I want to keep this somewhat brief. So let's just suffice to say for now that um, having some sort of external um, stoppage or whatever external um, guideline by which you're measuring your reps, that's awesome. And let's say if that exercise fits you and uh, let's say your chest is the perfect um any point that's awesome just be aware that that doesn't mean that it's the best uh, range of motion for everyone or even for you and that it might change uh, going into the future and speaking of going into the future one other very interesting concept which we talked about with Patty was this idea that um, exercises can be great choices in certain time points and not in others so for example but if you beginners are very, very suited to do flat barbell presses, usually the ones who do are the ones with um, huge rib cages and very uh, deep uh, sternum angles. And usually those are the people who can get like just massive, massive pecs by just flat pressing. And not surprisingly, these are the same people who, if are not applying critical thinking also are the ones who just say to others, you know, I should just flat press. I mean, look at my chest and uh, all I did was flat presses. <laughs> Meanwhile, some, someone like me who has very, very shallow uh, ribcage and a very poor structure when it comes to pressing, you know, they might be better suited by a 20 degree or even a 30 degree incline in order to uh, achieve sufficient stimulation however five years down the line they might find that their chest has now grown and they are actually much better suited for barber presses flat barber presses and they can actually do it uh, safely and in a way that is actually stimulative for their pecs so um, I guess the whole broad idea that sort of encompasses this episode and I guess really all of the episode is uh, just you know use your brain think critically don't just take things at face value and don't just uh, follow someone blindly because they have an impressive physique development so I think uh, I've gone long enough thank you once again for listening and uh, stick around for the next episode which is also going to be a good one have an awesome week and go live something heavy